What's up, everybody? So we watched a movie up here yesterday uh, called Spotlight. If you don't know, uh, if you're visiting today or, or maybe this is your first time here, we're in the middle of a series called Real Truth Cinema, where we're taking a movie and watching it on Saturday, and then we are talking about the, the contents of some of that on Sunday and some of the truth uh, that we see in the movie or maybe some things in the movie that we want to clarify some truth about. Uh, so we watched a tough film yesterday, Spotlight, uh, brings light onto something that, that none of us really want to talk about, and that is uh, this scandal that has taken place in, in the Catholic Church in the last few years with all of the priests molesting children. Uh, the movie we watched yesterday was uh, the story of the Boston Globe reporters who uncovered that story initially, uh, kind of the behind the scenes, how that stuff broke, uh, and then some of the stuff that has happened since then which if you go and research this topic, what you will find is that story broke back uh, when it did, but, but since that time in the early 2000s, there have been literally tens of thousands of stories like this that have come out. It is uh, really, really disheartening and sad. Um, so why did we select this movie and this topic to show as part of our Real Truth Cinema? There's four reasons, okay? First, there are families in our community, this is not on notes, okay? This is just, I'm just explaining. There are families in our communities that have been, uh, been affected by this scandal, numerous ones. I've talked to no less than four different families just here in Collinsville who completely quit going to church because of this. They were raised Catholic. Uh, that was their church. And then when the scandal came out, they do not attend any longer mass. They don't have any kind of spiritual community in their life because they've just given up. I've talked to people who have completely lost their faith because of this scandal. Because what kind of God, if he's real, would allow this kind of thing to happen in a church? If he's good, then he wouldn't. He must not be good if he's there. I think he's not there. That's kind of the logic that a lot of people uh, have. So we know people here that have been personally affected. Not only that, uh, there's a need for clarity regarding what the church is. Part of my friends who have been uh, affected, like they're thinking, is they're in their mind, the church for them was the church they grew up in, which was the Catholic church. That was the church. There wasn't another church. That's what they had been taught, you know, from, from birth. That, that's either you're part of the church or you're not, and it's the Catholic church. Guys, there are other Christian denominations that teach similar things. Uh, we're the only ones. We're the only Christians. You got to do it like us, you know. I don't believe that's true. Uh, I think the scriptures uh, clarify some of that for us. And, and honestly, guys, people need hope and people need connection. And if you think the church is one way when God says it's a different way, I just think we need to clarify what the truth is about what the church is. So that's one of the truths we're going to look at. Thirdly, guys, another reason we're, we're dealing with this is childhood sexual trauma is much bigger than, than the scandal. You may not be aware, but uh, the latest numbers from the CDC indicate that one out of four girls in the United States is sexually abused. 25%. That's just in general, guys. One out of 13 boys is abused in our country. Not only that, think about the passive sexual trauma that's affecting kids now. When you have over half who, by the age of 13 in our country, have been exposed to hardcore pornography. When you have... Uh, 13 to 17-year-olds, 74% of them watch online porn video, right? When you have the kids saying, uh, this pornography affects how we view sexuality. It, it gives us good information. 
That's what the kids are saying in these studies, is we learn good things from porn. And so it's affecting their views whenever they get married, whenever they get into a relationship, they're, they're, they're being poisoned by this stuff. Sexual trauma for kids is everywhere. It's not limited to a church, guys. It's just in the culture. It is a big problem, and we need resources to deal with it. That's another reason we need to deal with this. Guys, I want to talk about this today, and I wanted to talk about this movie today because I believe our church is in a position to help. I don't want to talk about this to bash anybody. I did not bring this up to bash the Catholic Church. Guys, this scandal is not limited to the Catholic Church. Every major denomination and religious group has had a scandal like this. More recently, the Southern Baptist Convention. They're going through it right now for these same reasons. People in power found out kids were being abused and they covered it up instead of bringing it to light. This is not just a Catholic church problem, okay? We're not here just to pick on a group. I do want to bring light to this issue because, like I said, I do believe our church is in a position to help because we're one of the only churches that I know of, and I've been doing this a long time, we're one of the only groups that I know of that actually has resources to help people with childhood sexual abuse, trauma. We're one of the only ones that does that. And so I feel like in our congregation, because we've got a bunch of people here who have dealt with this issue and who have gotten help, because we have a group of people who have been helped with this, guess what we're in a position to do? Guys, hurt people, what do hurt people do? Hurt people hurt people. What do helped people do? Helped people help people. You have got a gift to give people if you've been helped with this issue. You have got wisdom. You have got a sense of uh, uh, security and, and, and a faith that can be shared. And that's, that's the point here, guys. When I think about this issue, I don't think about uh, the specter of this organization that made horrible, evil mistakes. I think about the names and the faces of the people that have been affected by it, and I think about how we can help. And so I really want this lesson today to be a positive thing. I don't want to be bashing anybody or making anybody just feel bad, okay? I really want to be constructive, and I, I think we can do that. I want to show our first clip, and that's going to get us into our lesson today. I was 11, and I was prayed upon by Father David Hawley in Worcester. And I don't mean prayed for, I mean prayed upon. Are any of you Catholic? I was raised Catholic. No, now I go to my wife's Presbyterian church. I'm lapsed. I go to church with my grandmother sometimes. And it's safe to say we were all raised Catholic, but now. Not so much. Okay. Well, let me tell you. When you're a poor kid from a poor family, religion counts for a lot. And when a priest pays attention to you, it's a big deal. He asks you to collect the hymnals or take out the trash, you feel special. It's like God asking for help. And so maybe it's a little weird when he tells you a dirty joke, but now you got a secret together. So you go along. Then he shows you a porno mag. And you go along. And you go along. And you go along as you feel trapped because he has groomed you. How do you say no to God, right? See, it is important to understand that this is not just physical abuse, it's spiritual abuse too. And when a priest does this to you, 
He robs you of your faith. So you reach for the bottle or the needle, or if those don't work, you jump off a bridge. That's why we call ourselves survivors. Um, he said when a, when a priest does this, he's not just, he's robbing you of your faith, is what the guy says. It, it's spiritual abuse. It's not just physical abuse, it's spiritual abuse. And he's robbing you of your faith. Why? Because this is a person, you know, a priest is supposed to represent Jesus. That's what he's supposed to do. But when a person who's supposed to represent Jesus betrays you in a way that is the absolute worst betrayal you can render on someone, and he represents Jesus, what does that do to your faith? What does that do to your faith? It makes you ask things like, how could a good God let something like this happen in the church? A good God wouldn't, so this God must not be good. That's where our minds go. That's where a lot of people's minds go. How could God let something like this happen within the church? Now, for a person who believes there's only one church, guys, this is just a faith killer. Just a faith killer. So what I want to do is I want to look at Scripture. I really believe Scripture has the answers. I personally believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe it was given to us by God for a reason to be used. Uh, the Bible says about itself that Scripture is God-breathed. That means God came up with it. It's His. It says that Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So if I want to get information from God, if I want to be taught from God, if I want to be corrected by God, what's the source that I need to go to? I need to go to the scriptures because the Bible has authority. Guys, so we look, when we're looking in scripture, I want you to remember we're not just looking at some man-made, made-up thing. This is something that has authority from God. So if we're God's people and we want to be God's church and we want to know how God's church operates, where do we need to look? We need to look in Scripture. We need to go back to Scripture. Whenever we start letting church tradition or man-made systems trump the clear teaching of Scripture, we get into trouble. And guys, I'm telling you, in this situation, if people had just followed Scripture, the situation wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't have happened. Here's what the Bible says the church is. There's two words that I want to share with you, okay? You got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have some space for you to take a note or two. Two Greek words. The New Testament was written in Greek. So sometimes it's helpful to go back and look at the original language because the stuff in the original language doesn't always all carry over to English. Our English translations are really good, okay? But to really dig into Scripture, sometimes you need to do a little extra study, like go back and look at the original. So that's what we're going to do today. The word for church in the Bible, the first one is ekklesia. Uh, it's a Greek word that means assembly or gathering. Ekklesia should be the next blank on your notes. Um, <coughs> guys, ekklesia, the church in the Bible, the word church does not mean a building. Okay? It does not mean anything other than people. In Romans uh, 16.5, uh, church can refer to a local gathering, okay? A couple of different ways it can be used. 16.5 says, greet also the church 
that meets in their house. That's Paul using church just to refer to a group of people that were meeting in a house. Notice, he doesn't call the house, the building, the structure. He doesn't call that the church. He doesn't call a building the church. He calls the people the church, and this is the people of God. Okay, the idea of church, or the word church, can also refer to the universal church in the Bible. Uh, the word body is frequently used in this way. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, Paul says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, some of us are free, but we've all been baptized by one body, by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Okay? He goes on in this metaphor of the body in the book of Ephesians. Same author, different book, says in Ephesians 4, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is how many? How many bodies? There's one body, okay? How many churches are there? How many churches are there, church? Okay, universally, there's just one. There's one body. There's one body. There is one spirit. Notice how spirit is capitalized there. What's that mean? It's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about God, the Holy Spirit of God. There's one body, one church, one Holy Spirit of God. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord. Who's Lord? Jesus is Lord. Amen? How many lords are there? Are you sure? You guys are, some of you sound unsure today. Are you sure there's just one Lord? Okay, good. Welcome to the crossings. We believe that. There's one Lord. It's Jesus. There's not multiple lords. There's just one. One faith. How many faiths? One. What if somebody says there's multiple paths to God? Well, they're wrong, right? They're, they're, they're mistaken. There's just one faith, one baptism, one God. And Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. You ever notice that part? He's over all, and through all, and in all. Who's in charge? Guys, who's in charge whenever stuff like this happens on earth? Is that hard to believe sometimes? Whenever you see evil like what we've seen in this movie? It can be hard, guys. What I want you to see, though, is in Scripture, the, the, the church is presented as there's just one. There's just one church. The ecclesia, the gathered assembly of God, the, the, the soma, the, the living body of Christ. You want to know what you have to be in order to be a member of God's church? Anybody want to take a guess? You have got to be devoted to Jesus as your king. You've got to be devoted to Jesus Christ as your king. That's the requirement for membership in the body of Christ. But you want to know what you can do? Guys, can you fake it? Can you fake faith? Sure you can. Guys, are there people that go to churches that don't really love Jesus? Okay. You guys realize that, right? You can stand in a garage and it doesn't make you a car. You can stand in a church and it doesn't make you a disciple. What makes you a disciple? Do you think that somebody who would unrepentantly molest a child is a member of God's church? I don't. You want to know why? Because Jesus would never do that. 
And people that are in God's church, they're not perfect, but they don't do the stuff Jesus doesn't do. And when they do, they fix it. They repent. That's what a Christian does. What is appalling is when hypocrites are held up as church leaders and they're given the title and the mantra and the support system, but the world looks at that and, guys, the world looks at that and just wants to throw up because it's so hypocritical. We should be upset and angry about this stuff. We should be. But we need to understand that that's not representative of the church. It's not. And that's what I got to convince my friends of. My friends who grew up experiencing this stuff, and this is all they've been taught, what I try to persuade them is, you were never part of the church to begin with. Because if the characteristics of Jesus aren't present, that wasn't his church. Period. Period. Guys, I think you can see what the church is, like on earth. Okay, there's just one church. I think we can find the church on earth. I just don't think it's stuck behind a sign. <laughs> I think the characteristics are apparent in the lives of people. And I think that because there's some specific functions. Guys, the church is not a dang social club. Like, we don't just get together because we like Jesus and like potlucks. Like, that's not... That's not what the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be a people development machine that helps people become the person that God always designed them to be so that they can go out and make the world a better place. That's what the church is. Like, when you sign up to go to church, it's not I'm signing up to go listen to some sermons on the weekends. It's I'm signing up to become who I am designed to be so that I can go get to work. Because you've got a ministry and you were designed to get to work. We just want to help you figure out what that looks like for you because God created you unique. He gave you unique gifts, but make no mistake, you have a purpose and you have a mission from the designer of all this. And the way you can have the very best life you can have is to start living according to your design. There ain't no better life because that's the way it was meant to be lived. So let me ask, how does the church function in the Bible? I just want to look at some characteristics and this is not going to be a comprehensive list, guys. I just chose some scriptures that I think reveal truth that is relevant to our discussion today. Uh, first of all, one of the main functions of the church is the church provides fellowship and family. The church is meant to be your family. Uh, I love Acts 2. We, we look at this passage a lot uh, because this is the ideal that we shoot for. Now, I want you to ask, if you grew up, maybe you didn't go to church or maybe you did. I want you to think about what you thought the church was and what the church was supposed to be and what, how the church was supposed to function. I just want you to get that in your mind. And then I'm going to read this description of the first church. And I want you to tell me if your vision in your mind matches this. Because here's what the church is supposed to look like. It says in Acts 2, 47 all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals including the Lord's Supper and a prayer, a deep sense of awe came over all of them and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared the money with those in need. 
They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Does your church look like that? Are those elements there, fellowship and faith and devotion and commitment to the teaching of the apostles and taking care of one another and being outwardly focused and bringing outsiders in as the Lord is adding daily to their number those who are being saved? Does your church look like that? Or did it look like something else? Is this is what the church is supposed to look like? Does our church look like this? We try. Okay, but let me tell you, this wasn't my experience growing up. This wasn't my understanding growing up. I grew up the son of a preacher, and I didn't get this. We didn't have healthy church that I would grow up in. Um, this is so important. This, these are just basic elements. But for my friends who maybe grew up in another tradition, and, and maybe grew up being taught their church was the only church, does your church look like this? Because I would like to suggest, if you have heard your whole life that your church is the only church and this is the only right way to do it, if your church doesn't include these elements, if, if your church didn't look like this growing up, if this is a different foreign experience, like what we read in Scripture to what your church was, I would like to suggest that maybe you weren't part of the church. Guys, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to say God didn't throw us into life without any uh, uh, help. He gives us Scripture not just so that we can use it like to decorate our coffee table. He gives us scripture so that we can know his will. He invented the church. You guys realize Jesus invented the church. And Jesus tells us how the church should function and how the church should be set up. We need to get back to scripture. The church is meant to be where you are absolutely the most loved in life. That's what it's meant to be. That's what Jesus designed it to be. The church is meant to be your family. That's what it's supposed to be. But where we get off track, guys, we are not, uh, we're not being Christ-like when we're not like this. And, and guys, that is the point of all this. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus to one another and, and to the, the outside world. That is the whole point. So where we're not like Jesus, we need to change that. Secondly, the church provides discipleship and development. The church provides discipleship and development. So it's not just a family. It's also, like I said earlier, the, the, the community where God will work on you to help you become the person you were created to be. There is a growth element that is intrinsic in following Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus and stay the same and be following Jesus. You cannot. It is an impossibility. Um, in Ephesians 4, <coughs> now Ephesians 4 is a description of how the church is supposed to work. Notice what he says here. He says, these are the gifts Christ gave the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Right here, this says Jesus gave gifts to the church. Do you guys see what those gifts are? Do you see what it says? Uh, this passage is not talking about spiritual gifts. This, this passage is talking about people. 
God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Here, uh, this says that church leaders are, are Jesus' gift to the church. That's what this passage says right here. And their responsibility, the responsibility of those who serve and lead within the church is to equip God's people for what? To what? Where does that happen? Oh, outside the church. Okay, good, yeah. The, the, the point of church, guys, is for you to come here and to learn how to be the person God wanted you to be because God wants you to go outside and guess what God wants you to do? He wants you to go do that outside. And what God knows is you, as you go outside and start acting like Jesus, what's going to happen? What happens where Jesus goes? Man, good things tend to happen where Jesus goes, right? The church is the hands and feet of Jesus. That's, this is why you have to be uh, in relationship with Jesus. You have to honor Jesus. You have to have Jesus as your king to even be part of the church because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus. The church is made up of individuals whose hearts are in submission to Jesus, who want to go out and be Jesus to the world around them. That is God's will and, and desire for you. His desire in the church is not for us just to come in here and, and have a club. It's to come in here and be developed so that we can go out and do work. Their responsibility, church leaders' responsibility is to equip you for works of service. And your works of service, yeah, they're going to help the church. We're going to serve within the church. But guys, we're going to go outside and we're going to serve the world, however that looks. It could be service through like going out and helping somebody. It could be service through giving somebody a word. It could be service through uh, telling somebody you know, something hard sometimes even, like, hey, you're doing this and it's going to hurt you. Like, here's what God says about this. There could be all kinds of ways that shows up. But you need to go out and be Jesus to people. These are the gifts God gives the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church. What does that look like? Build up the church. When I think about building up the church, I think about making disciples. I think about bringing people in. You know, I think about inspiring faith in others and helping others connect with Jesus. I'm passionate about that. And I believe Jesus is passionate about that and God wants you to be passionate about that. You're joining the church, guys. You are not meant to join the church and ride the bench. Riding the bench is something we used to say back when I played baseball. If you had to ride the bench, it meant you didn't play the game. You sat, on, you sat in the dugout on the bench. You didn't get out and play the game. There are no bench riders in the church. God's desire is for you to become the person you were always meant to be so that you can do the things that you were always meant to do. The church Jesus designed is meant to be my family who helps me grow and find my purpose. That's really what the church is meant to be, is your family who helps you grow and who helps you find your purpose. Um, how in the church do you grow and find purpose? Guys, this is primarily done uh, relationally through spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers and life-on-life discipleship. And I think about my own development. And uh, man, I've had people in my life who have been kind enough to come alongside me and, and be connected to me. You know, Robert Cox, I used to go get 
breakfast with Robert every week uh, on Tuesdays. We'd go, and he'd spend an hour with me just talking about life. And he would give me advice, and he'd ask how things are going, and he would, he would give me some direction, and he would point out stuff that he could see in me because he was further down the road spiritually and more wise. He could point things out in my life. I think about guys like Gary Lambrick or Lynn Stringfellow or my dad, Jim Waddell, or many others who over the years, Francis Chan, who have uh, spent time with me and poured into me and, and given me some of their wisdom to share with others. I appreciate that. Uh, I really do. And, uh, you know, I want to share that with others, and I, I want you to share that as well. And I really think this is part of how we have just a healthy community, guys. It's where, man, if there's just a shift in our thinking where we're thinking more about others than we are about ourselves. And how is this going to affect somebody else? And, guys, that's just Christ-like. It really is. Um, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. This is how Paul says... The church will function again. We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does what? As each part does what? Who's that talking about? Talking about every person in the church. You guys think I'm joking when I say there ain't no bench riders in the church? The Bible right here says every person's doing work. Are you part of the church? It's exciting, man. It's fun. I'm telling you, there is nothing. I used to do a lot of drugs, okay? I've, I've gotten high a bunch. I know what it feels like to be high. Uh, I'm telling you right now, there ain't no greater high than helping somebody get to know Jesus. Whenever you feel like God is, is using you to bless another person's eternity, there is no greater high than that. And I've done a lot of drugs. I'm telling you, it's good. This is not on your notes, but this is a life verse for us. Guys, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I reference that a lot because it is so hope-giving because this is true for you. You, whether you are following Jesus today or not, are loved by God. You were created by God. You have a purpose given to you by God. Now, whether you fulfill that purpose or not is going to be up to you. God very, very, very much wants you to. He very, very, very much wants you to come to him, but he does not force himself on anybody. He doesn't. He gives you choice. But he's open-handed, and he wants you to come to him. Guys, when you surrender to Jesus, it's really hard to do, like, there, there's just a mental and emotional barrier to making that initial surrender. But man, when you do, it's like the weight just comes off your shoulders. And, and all that anxiety and everything that you were so afraid of giving up control or giving up that habit or sometimes that relationship or whatever it might be, all that stuff, man, it's just, when you let it go, it's just like a weight comes off your shoulders. And guys, I'm telling you, you can live free and you can live purposefully, and you can live knowing that we've got a God who supernaturally set up this life, set up things for you to do to, to make the world a better place and to get fulfillment and satisfaction in doing that. That's how he set it up. That's some of the exciting stuff that we get to find out as we grow and develop uh, in God. And so how does church leadership function in the Bible? 
Okay, again, relevant to the content here, uh, this isn't going to be a comprehensive list. I just want to give a couple of points that are relevant uh, to the discussion based on the content we looked at yesterday. First of all, there are high standards for leadership in God's church. Uh, James 3 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. You know, James says, don't get up and teach just because you want to get up on stage. You need to understand you're going to be judged by God for how you teach. Why? Because if you get up here and you teach something wrong, what's going to happen? You can hurt people, right? You can hurt people. If you get into a position of influence, you can hurt people. In God's church, there are high standards for people that serve in positions of influence right here. They're going to be judged more strictly. Uh, 1 Timothy, church leaders are to lead from character, okay? This is a list in 1 Timothy of some of the characteristics that God lays out in the Bible. Uh, can we get that scripture up there, please, guys? 1 Timothy 3, this is a trustworthy saying. Uh, if someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. What does that mean? means it's beyond criticism. Does it mean perfect? No, because I wouldn't be here, right? Neither would any of our other leaders. But it means beyond criticism. It means there's nothing in their life where the world will just look and say, that dude's all jacked up. You know, they kind of got their life together. So this is somebody that's uh, uh, above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. Okay, I'm not even going to point out the disparity here. Faithful to his wife, this is what they say is a good thing in church leadership. It's a good thing to be a married church leader, okay? You don't have to be, but it's a good thing. Uh, he must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family while having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Okay, this is just one list. There are more lists. Uh, this, again, this is not comprehensive, but this gives you an idea. In the church, God's got some pretty high standards for leaders, right? You guys see that? Um, we are instructed in the Bible... To, to choose men and women to follow who lead out of character. And where there is a lapse in character, uh, sin within church leadership is to be dealt with publicly. Let me say that again. Sin within church leadership is to be dealt with publicly. What if a leader convicts uh, a sin? What if a leader is abusive towards somebody? What if a leader is involved in a scandal? What do you do? What does the Bible say you do? 1 Timothy 5. Paul says, don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. So again, this isn't every single accusation or you know, complaint somebody has with a leader. Paul's saying if, if there's two or three witnesses, if it's a big to-do and there's two or three witnesses and it's confirmed, okay? So if it's confirmed sin, verse 20, those elders who are sinning, 
You are to do what? What does it say, guys? You are to do what? Those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove how? What does that mean? It means in front of everybody. It means you don't hide it. it means if, a, if there's a scandal, if I were to cheat on my wife, if I were to cheat on my wife, we would, to maintain integrity, need to get up here on Sunday and literally announce my sin to you guys. That's what we would do. Or if something like that happened with any of our leaders, that's, the, that's what Scripture advises us to do. I remember growing up, uh, I, went to a, I was grow up in a church plant, um, and I remember one Sunday, one of the preachers got up before like, the assembly started, and this was a man that we all knew, and he basically got up and said he had been having an affair on his wife, and he needed to confess it publicly, and that he was resigning that day. And I was like 11 or 12, and I still remember sitting in church like, wow. And that dude stepped down. He was no longer the minister. And then some of the other church leaders got up, and they kind of explained the situation. They explained they were going to be helping him recover and helping him with some different things to get better. Uh, he had a lot of trauma that he had never dealt with. And anyway, it was just a big mess. But I remember as a little kid, like, thinking, wow, that's messed up. But I walked away from church that day, and guess what? I still trusted the church. Why? Because they dealt with that properly. They got up and they said, here's what happened. This is wrong. This is sinful. This is, this is evil. Here's how we're dealing with it. And they dealt with it. Okay? I would just like to say that that is how we are to deal with sin in church leadership. Guys, we're not here to bash mistakes that were made by others, but I just got to say, this is one of the glaringly obvious things that was not, it was just completely, completely bungled in this situation. It's that they wouldn't own the evil that had been done, they wouldn't admit it, and they wouldn't just come out and, and just be transparent about it. That's true with the, the scandal with the Catholic Church. That's true with the scandal with the SBC. That's been true in a lot of these scandals. Guys, there needs to be transparency in, in leadership. I can tell you here at the crossings, this is something that we practice. This is something that we practice. And you guys can trust if there's a scandal or anything like this that happens in our congregation, I promise you we will not hide it. I promise you we won't. We will come out and we'll tell you what's going on and we won't try to make ourselves look good because that's the direction we have from Scripture. I hope we are never in a situation where anything like that ever happens, okay? But we are not blind about how to act if it does. We have clear instruction here. Our uh, response is just going to be up to us, whether we're going to be faithful in applying God's word or not. I can tell you, and just from God, things go better when you do things God's way. And I want us to be a church where we try our best to do things God's way. I know we're not perfect, and, and we will never be, but I want us to be healthy. Amen? Amen? I think we can be healthy without being perfect. Thank goodness. Um, you got to understand, this is a serious command in Scripture. 
okay? One other passage uh, that's not on your notes that I just want to throw out is Matthew 18. If you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, this is Jesus talking, it'd be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's what Jesus Christ says about protecting kids. One of the things that uh, upsets me as an abuse victim and upsets so many is that the victims in these stories were little kids. Who's going to protect the little kids? Jesus is a fierce protector. And guys, if we're his church, we need to adopt that spirit. And I'm telling you, we need people to protect kids in this world and to give them hope. Not only that, every adult, every adult whose life is messed up, every adult who's living in darkness and just swimming in misery, they were a little kid one time. Some of those little kids, they never got the love and the care that they needed. And they grew up to be those adults who are in misery now. Guys, we have hope for them too. Jesus has care and, and concern for them too. But I just want to say with clarity, if there's anybody on earth who would visit the abuse and the misery on kids like what we watched in that movie, guys, we just need to understand they are not part of God's church. They're not. If somebody treats a kid that way, they don't know Jesus. Period. I've got friends who will not go to church anymore because they have family or they, they were affected in some way by this situation because they believe they were part of the church. I don't believe they were ever part of the church because their experience in church does not line up with what I see in Scripture. Okay? We can give people hope in the midst of this garbage. Because the church is still here, guys. Jesus is still present. Right? Um, I just want you to think, if you're, if you're affected by this, were you part of a church that looks like what we read in Scripture? And if you weren't part of a church that looks like what we read in Scripture, I want to encourage you to give it a shot and that's why the crossings is here. We are trying to be a church that looks like the church in Scripture. Now, there's more we could say about this. Uh, I think this scandal and others like it, uh, this is one of the reasons, honestly, I'm a non-denominational Christian. I believe, you know, in the New Testament, what we see is independent congregations that are cooperating, but there's not a power structure in place where a very few group of people get to make decisions for a ton. I don't think that's biblical. I believe uh, the way we plant churches is we plant them and then that's an uh, independent church. We are not gonna set up as we're planting congregations a network where a very small group of people make a decision for a whole bunch of people because that's just a recipe for disaster. And honestly, guys, it is not, uh, it's not the example we see in scripture. So there's more we could say about that. Um, what I would like to do, though, is talk uh, to end our time about how we provide resources to help. 
Uh, so I want to invite Max and Ayana to come up. Uh, we have a support group here called Wounded Heart uh, that is for victims of childhood sexual abuse. We are one of the only churches that I'm aware of um, that offers anything like this regularly that deals with this issue. Uh, if you don't know, I'm a victim of childhood sexual abuse. Uh, I grew up being severely molested personally. I have read, uh, or excuse me, I've led wounded heart classes, a number of them. Uh, I helped train Max. Uh, Ayana here has recently been trained. Uh, and so I'm going to let them share a little bit. Um, but what we're going to do is watch a movie clip, uh, and then we are going to use that as kind of the, the talking point uh, to talk about Wounded Heart a little bit. Um, can we go ahead and play that second clip, the effects of abuse? It really messed me up. I'm sober now, but that, that was the beginning of it all. It's very confusing, you know, to be introduced to sex like that and then... And then to be attracted to men, it's... I'm sorry. I knew I was going to do this. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. It's okay, Joe. It's okay. <laughs> of course there is a church right there. And a playground. Joe, did you ever try and tell anyone? Like a priest? <laughs> um, so he is articulating as a grown man... Uh, through tears, there is still a whole lot of hurt because of this thing that happened to him when he was a kid. Um, very common. How did, uh, how did childhood sexual trauma affect you guys? So I relate a lot to what he was saying about that confusion, um, that feeling from very early on. There's, that, there's mixed signals of, one, I've got these people that are showing me attention, they're showing me that affection I think I need because there's a hole in my life, there's something good there that's, that they're giving me. But on the other side, I know that it's, it's wrong. I know that it's shameful, I know that it's uh, just, it's bad. Uh, I know what's happened should not have happened. So it's very conflicting in you know, an eight-year-old's mind um, to, to feel all those things. So I think that turned, as I grew older, it turned into things like shame and guilt and self-loathing. Uh, it, it turned me to uh, addictions. I was addicted to pornography from about eight years old, I would say. Um, uh, I would turn to drugs. I would turn to alcohol. I would re-victimize women. Um, I would just, I felt like a monster inside. I felt like there was something inherently wrong with me. Um, I became suicidal. Um, and that's even before I became a Christian. After I became a Christian, I thought, oh, I'm saved now. It's all fine and good. It's perfect. Uh, but until I was confronted with this stuff of, oh, I, need to, I still need to deal with this. And instead of dealing with it, I hid. I put on masks. I acted like everything was fine. I acted like everything was good. I, I stood up on stage and I sang um, just because I thought it would make me a good Christian. Uh, when in reality, I was just rotting inside, letting all this fester that I hadn't dealt with. So a lot of things. It affected me a lot of ways. Yeah. I'm nervous. <laughs> okay. I think for me, uh, because I was seven years old, sorry, I don't know how to talk in this thing. Um, I was seven years old when I um, knew that what different kinds of sex were um, at seven. And I think it affected me um, with my relationships. I had uh, super shallow relationships. I didn't know how to fit in. Um, 
I felt worthless, and I think a lot of that led to um, I had an eating disorder. Um, I abused prescription pills. Um, I tried to kill myself. Um, there's a lot. <laughs> um, sorry. So, um, so I had to uh, lie. I'm really nervous. <laughs> sorry. Um, I knew how to lie really well um, to fit in. Um, I had to survive. So I camouflaged, and everywhere I went, um, so people wouldn't be able to see the flaws that I had. Um, so that's how it affected me. Yeah, I'd, I'd say a lot of the same stuff, like, you know you're involved in something bad, but God has created your body to react in a certain way when you're touched in a certain way, so it feels good. Uh, and, you know, you'll be victimized, and then you, it's good, it's bad, and then you, you go back and it happens again, and there's guilt. And uh, you, what you've heard them express is deep down you just feel like trash. And, and you internalize, I'm inherently bad, this message, I'm inherently bad. You internalize it, and you don't tell anybody about it. And so you think you're by yourself. You just go through life, and you've got all this garbage, and you don't ever tell anybody about it. You, you just stuff it, and it just becomes part of you. And it's like this darkness that you carry around in your heart, and you, it's just with you. Like, you, you learn to live with it. Um, we're getting some lag. Do you guys, are we streaming that directly off the drive, or did you guys download the files for those clips? You downloaded it? It's still doing that? Oh, I think our computer's just goofy. Okay, we got a little lag, it's okay. Uh, let's watch the next clip, and then that's gonna introduce you to our next topic. We've got like three more of these. These exhibits you're after, Mr. Resendez, they're very sensitive records. With all due respect, Your Honor, that's not the question. The records are public. Maybe so, but tell me, where is the editorial responsibility in publishing records of this nature? Well, where's the editorial responsibility in not publishing them? So one of the things that keeps showing up in this, in this scandal is how many layers of cover-up were there? You know, you had the DA that was working with, like he's the one who's supposed to be prosecuting and he's working with, you know, the people he's supposed to be prosecuting and not prosecuting them. Uh, you've got... Uh, various levels of people in government that knew things were going on, reporters. Just, who wants to deal with this crap? How many of you guys didn't want to come to church today because of this? Raise your hand, don't be, don't be lying, okay? There's a lot of people that, that didn't even want us to show this movie. Why? Because who wants to talk about priests molesting kids? Seriously. Like, hey, you want to go to church and watch a movie about priests molesting kids? That's not a good outreach, right? Um, nobody wants to deal with this. Nobody wants to deal with this. Why? Why is it so tempting to sweep things under the rug? Or let me ask it a different way. Is this, just, is this just a church issue, or is this sweeping things under the rug an issue with sexual trauma in general? Oh, it's definitely an issue in sexual trauma in general, I think. Personally, it's, it's, it's shameful. It's easier to not deal with it. It's easier to not dig those things up and to open those wounds again. Um, and I think it's the same thing for the, the families of victims and the people around. It's just, 
it's just easier to, to be in denial and to not dig into those things. Um, there's also like a lack of understanding. How do I deal with it? What do I even say? Like, what do I do? Um, yeah. Okay. I think for me, um, my family swept it underneath the rug. Um, I don't think my our family knew how to deal with it. Um, and so they were just kind of, I think, in denial. And I think shame. I think they um, went through their own trauma growing up. And I think because of that, they just didn't know how to, they, they, it would open up a can of worms for them to have to deal with it themselves. And I think that they weren't ready yet. Um, the church swept it underneath the rug that I've been to before. Um, I don't know if it was like presentation. I don't know if it was shame. Um, I, I, I believe it was probably shame um, and denial. Yeah. So uh, this is super common with, with every case. I've taught a number of, of wounded heart support groups, and I don't know how many people uh, have been a part of those over the years, but there's been a lot. And I can't think of a single case that I've been involved in of childhood sexual abuse that has been handled well. I can't think of a single one. And, and by that, I mean when a victim... Uh, has something happen to them, they're molested, they go tell a, a mother or father or someone, guess what happens 99% of the time? It, that wasn't that big a deal. Oh, you'll get over it. Or uh, it, There's something like that where it's dismissed. Or the victim is blamed. Well, it was somehow your fault. Why were you wearing this? Why did you sit there? And then they get in trouble. Uh, I can tell you when I... When, when the authority figures in my life found out what was happening to me, I got whooped when I was a little kid, like I had done something wrong. And it's just because they didn't know any better. It's not people are malicious, guys. When, this, when stuff like this happens, people are just dealing with it a lot of times the best way they know how. And, and guys, the truth is those people just don't know how to deal with this. Because how do you learn to deal with this unless somebody... Like, gives you some guidance and teaches you. You need help. This is horrible. You need help. But the worst thing you can do is pretend like there's not a problem. What happens when you just live in denial? You never deal with anything, guys. This movie's called Spotlight. What's a spotlight do? It shines light on something. When you go to the doctor or the dentist and they put that big shiny light above your teeth and they're going to start poking and prodding with sharp instruments inside your mouth near that tender gum line with that little pokey thing. You want them to be able to see clearly, right? You want that spotlight to be nice and bright. You don't want the dim spotlight. You know, you don't want to go to the Groupon dentist that day. You want the bright spotlight. <clears throat> Whenever you bring a light to a problem, it, it gets you to where you can deal with it. If there's never any light on the problem, are you ever going to deal with it? No. you got to shine light on the problem to deal with it. But man, some of this, we would just rather not see. But we've got to get past that, I would rather not see, to, no, we need to deal with reality. Let's bring it to the light. Guys, the best disinfectant for darkness is light. Let's look at the next clip.
Sasha, can I have a drink of water? Yeah. Sure, Nana. Easiest overtime I ever made. Phone hasn't rung once. Marty sent two of mine down to Spotlight. Great article, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Spotlight. crazy things at the end of the movie is when the story broke, they had set up a hotline for people that needed help. Maybe they'd been victimized and needed some help to call. And the next day, uh, the phone lines wouldn't stop ringing. You know, they had brought to light um, 90 cases, I think, 90 priests in, just in, in, their, in their town. But th by the end of it all, there were 249. Did you guys know that? Did you catch that at the end? By the end, there were 249. And since then, if you go research this online, guys, it, it, I, I cried last night just because I, I Googled church abuse scandals, and I sat there and cried as I read through all of the cases because it's not just Catholicism, guys. This kind of thing has happened in a lot of places, and it's been mishandled in a lot of places. Um, Whenever people heard that there were other victims, they responded, they called, they reached out, they wanted to talk to somebody. Why? Uh, let me ask you guys, how did hearing others speak openly about childhood sexual trauma help you open up about your own? I'd say this is twofold for me. You mentioned Robert Cox earlier, and uh, I heard him speak at a conference one time where he basically just laid out like the effects of sexual abuse um, on an adult, like childhood sexual abuse on an adult. And that was the first time I really grasped that what had happened to me was sexual abuse. Because uh, all those effects were like, oh, my, oh, this is me. And I tried to hide it, and I like, tried to walk away, and somebody I knew made eye contact with me and ran across the room and hugged me. And it was the first time I let it out. 
Um, but then having the the Wounded Heart class um, where we get to, we start out the class every every time where we share our stories. And it's it's like that song we just sang earlier, Hallelujah, I'm Not Alone. There's, there's people that have been through that. It helps you break through that wall of... Um, I can't share this. You, you just have, when you realize you have community, there's people that have dealt with this. Uh, you, you, you have some hope there of, I can share this. There's people that understand this. How did other sharing affect, uh, help you share yourself? Um, I, I agree. I went to church on a Sunday and heard uh, Robert talk about his abuse. And I think for me, my whole life, I was like, I never talked about it ever. Um, but I had nightmares. Like I was like this like distant nightmare that kept replaying that just didn't know where it came from. And the second he talked about it on stage, I broke, um, something in me broke. And it was the first time where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is real. And then it was really rough for a really long time. Uh, It wasn't really easy to love. Um, and so I do think opening up about it on stage or having like churches talk about it was something that was completely foreign to me. No church, nobody in a church ever talked about sexual abuse. And so um, it gave me hope that I wasn't alone. Yeah, I thought it was weird uh, the first time I heard Robert talk about it, I guess. Uh, It may have been at a conference too. I, I thought it was weird that some church guy was talking about this stuff. Uh, but then I realized as I, as I grew, and it kind of jolted me, I was an abuse victim, right? I hadn't even told anybody. Um, but it helped me open up about my own too, just because I heard somebody else talking about it. And it's so important that we do talk about it, and this is why we intentionally talk about it here. You guys hear me mention it probably every Sunday. You know I do that on purpose, and the reason I do that is because there's people that come in here uh, that if they don't hear that over and over, they're never going to tell anybody. You know how long I had to hear that before I opened up about my own crap? A few years. <laughs> I was convinced that I wasn't a victim. I'd convince myself. And then when I got into looking at it in the case, my case is more severe than most cases uh, of people that need help. I didn't know that. Why? Because I'd never talked to anybody and never gotten any help. When you get help, you're able to get clarity about things. You're able to, there's just certain things in life that you weren't designed to mess with on your own. And I think this is one of those things. Like none of us are going to get better who have been victimized in this way by ourselves. But we're not going to know where to go get help if there's never anybody talking. So we've got to be intentional. Guys, what happens when we don't talk about this stuff? What do you guys think? Well, I do think that re-victimization happens quite often because people don't talk about it. So I think, and if you guys don't know what that is, that's like me, people abusing other kids. Like it, it's just like a vicious cycle. The next generation does it. Like mm-hmm. um, I think that's really common. If you don't get help, then you just, what you think is just normal. And then you raise kids or you're around kids and then it's not normal. So I do think that happens a lot. Um, and it's just lonely. Yeah. So the primary effect that abuse will have on just practically, it's on your relationships. It's on your ability to let people get close to you and love you. And so what happens is you go through life not really letting anybody get near you. Uh, And so that's a lot of what Wounded Heart uh, helps you deal with is you just take scripture 
and apply it to your life. Because what you, when you're wounded as a little bitty kid, what do you naturally do when you're wounded? You protect yourself. And what happens when you're deeply, deeply wounded is you go through life like this. You go through your whole life like this. You keep everybody at a distance. You push everybody away because you don't want anybody to get close to you and see you. You don't want them to see how dirty you are. You also don't want them to hurt you. You just want to keep them away. And so you go through life relationally like this. You go through life with all this anger. You go through life with all this anger, and you never learn how to deal with it in a healthy way, so you deal with it in unhealthy ways. Uh, you may have uh, sexual proclivities. You may struggle with homosexuality. You may struggle with risky sexual behavior. One of the myths that's out there is when you've been sexually abused, you turn into an abuser. That's not true. That, that, honestly, that's one of the things that keeps most people from wanting to share that they were abused is people will think, well, are they a pedophile? Okay. A very small percentage of people who are sexually abused as kids become pedophiles. A very small percentage. Now, 100% of pedophiles were abused as kids. But you need to understand, a very small percentage of people who were abused as kids become pedophiles. You shouldn't automatically assume somebody's a pedophile because they were sexually abused. That's not helpful. Uh, it's really not. And it keeps people from sharing because of, they already feel enough shame without people thinking stuff like that. So we understand that here. Um, we are a place, because we have a bunch of people here who have gotten help with this, we are a place where the, the IQ of how to do with sexual, deal with sexual abuse, guys, in this room is higher than anywhere else in Collinsville. I promise you it is, because we've got so many people here who have dealt with this. So I feel like we have a responsibility to share uh, what God has given us to help people. We have a responsibility to share that. Because there are people that are out there hurting uh, that need help. So just to close out here, uh, we're going to skip that last clip, guys. What is wounded heart and how has wounded heart helped you heal? Uh, well, wounded heart, uh, we have men and women's classes. Um, it's uh, I think it's a 13-week class. So we go through a book uh, written by Dan Allender called The Wounded Heart and a Workbook. Uh, you, we walk through a bunch of different uh, topics, a bunch of different feelings that you may have felt as an abuse victim, a bunch of different activities, a bunch of things that you have been a part of um, just generally as an abuse victim. But a lot of it is sharing those hurts with each other, sharing those stories with each other, um, just learning how to love people and let people in. It's kind of like, like there's a book, there's a class, but a lot of it's just support and like sharing and having connection with people. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, you, if you're interested in that, if you're a man, uh, come find me. Um, and we can talk about it more. Um, yeah. Um, I think I took Wounded Heart a lot <laughs> um, because uh, I was just really young, so I just didn't. There's just so many things that were blocked from uh, my memory. I just, but I had the effects, and um, I think the class really taught me how to use the tools from the book um, and like other people um, in the class to kind of walk through life with it. Um, the class is just there so that way, because a lot of times you're like, I don't know how, I don't know what to do with this. Like, what do I do with all these feelings? What do I do with like all these habits? Um, my first instinct is to either hide or, you know, fight. <laughs> mm. um, so like, how do I not do that? How do I have deep relationships? Um, and I think the class really did show me how um, 
to fight through those natural instincts and then having people in the class and outside of the class. I think people who are outside of the class and like small groups, um, which our church has, really helped me. Um, people loved me uh, when I was really hard to love. And I think that really, I think that helped me a lot because everybody kind of ran away from me or didn't know how to deal with me or, I don't know, just kind of left. Um, but the people who stuck around, um, sorry, they're in this room, so it's really, um, sorry. They loved me whenever I really didn't know how to like treat them well. Um, and I think that really showed me something different. Um, I think that's what helped me fight to help other people. Um, took a long time, but um, now we offer it here in Collinsville, and I'm really not excited. I am excited, but not excited <laughs> um, to offer it here in my own community. Um, and so if anybody is ever interested um, in just talking or taking the class, um, please come find me. I'm happy to help. Well, thank you guys. You guys, uh, it's really difficult to get up here and be vulnerable and, and share this stuff. And so these two are super brave for doing that. Um, and we are super blessed to have them. So please give them a hand. You guys can go sit down. Thank you. Um, we will be launching Wounded Heart in January. Uh, so if you're interested in taking one of those, it's a men's class and a women's class. We run them separate. Uh, it is completely confidential. We don't tell who's in the class. Uh, we don't talk about what happens in the class. Uh, you have to sign a confidentiality agreement. Like, there's, there's some layers to it. Uh, it's overseen by Janice Wade, uh, who is a licensed therapist. Uh, we work under her auspices, uh, but this is a support group. We're not professionals. Uh, you have to sign a waiver, like, saying you understand we're not doctors. We're just taking the Bible and applying it to our life. And I can tell you, someone who has been on both sides of that, Wounded Heart is incredibly helpful. It's also incredibly hard. I know many of you in this room are interested in taking it. Um, I would recommend you take Healing as a Choice first, uh, and then I would recommend you take Wounded Heart after that. Uh, and if you want to ask me why later, you can. Uh, you can speak with Max, you can speak with Diana, or you can speak with me if you would like to get more information or sign up for Wounded Heart. Or if you're uncomfortable talking with someone, uh, I know this is one of the things with Wounded Heart, sometimes we set up like booths uh, for ministry fairs and things, and we'll have brochures, and, and I can see people walking and looking at the Wounded Heart booth, you know, and they, they don't want to get close to it. But they'll walk and look at it, you know, and I, I spot them. Like, I've learned, I've done it long enough, I can see them. Like, oh, I know that guy. And so I'll go talk to them later, and sure enough, uh, they really wanted to come over there, but they didn't want to see anybody seeing them come over there because they don't want anybody to know because it's shameful. They feel shame. Um, guys, I get it, okay? You're, you're, I completely get it. You do not have to be afraid uh, because me and Max and Ayana we all get it. We, we know what it feels like. Um, we also know what it feels like to find healing in Jesus. And one of my favorite passages has become Ephesians 5. This is the last one on your notes. Uh, it says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. 
I really like the way the NIV puts this um, in, in this rendering here. It's shameful to mention would the disobedient do bad stuff. Did any of you guys feel ashamed yesterday when we were watching that movie? Just the, the topic of it, it, it brings, whenever you talk about really shameful things, it can make you feel ashamed. I felt ashamed watching some parts of that movie just because of the subject matter. That's natural. Whenever you talk about dark stuff, it's natural to feel bad. But what does this say? Everything that exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated or everything that becomes visible becomes a light. What this passage says right here is that God can take your darkness and turn it into light. And I've seen that in my own life, guys. I grew up getting molested, but I wouldn't go back and take it back now because I'm able to help people who grew up getting molested. Isn't that weird? But that's because God can take that bad stuff and he can make good stuff come out of it when, when we give it to him. And it's the same with this whole situation. How many people are affected by this situation and this, and this trauma and this debacle? Millions. But God can take darkness and he can turn it into light when you give it to him. This situation is no different. The people of God need to rise up, expose darkness, expose sin, Speak up for the oppressed. Speak on behalf of Jesus. Speak on behalf of God. But don't forget the deepest darkness, the darkest, blackest, deepest darkness. God can take that and make it the brightest, shining light. And that's what he's in the business of doing. God works in the midst of evil, church. We can be there right alongside him. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song. Uh, and, and you're going to have an opportunity to respond. There's a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. That's a communication card. Uh, we talked about a lot of stuff today. And if you need help with something, if you are interested in signing up for Wounded Heart, you can put that on your card. If you are uncomfortable talking to a person, you can put that on your card. Uh, you can send an email. You can do whatever you want to do. Uh, we will work with you. If there's something else that we can help you with, you can look on there and see all the stuff we offer. We are a small group driven church. Uh, we, every member of our church is a member of a small group. Uh, if you're not part of a small group, if you'd like to check those out, uh, we've got groups meeting uh, throughout. We'd love to tell you about it. If you want to study the Bible, learn more about God, we would love to talk with you about your relationship with God and help you however we can. Um, but I'm going to let you read that card over and just respond how you need to today. Uh, let me pray, and then we're going to sing a song. During that song, you can fill out the card. Then we will sing one more song after that and pass some baskets, and you could drop your card in the basket. Let me pray. God, thank you for bringing us together today. Help us to remember, Father, if we were victimized, we weren't responsible. If we were made angry by this debacle, uh, you know, we're not responsible for maybe the evil that was carried out, but we are responsible for how we respond. Help us to respond in a godly way. If that's to get help, help us to get help. If that's to become a helper, help us to become a helper. God, help us to honor you today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.